And now, it's time for the Dad Bod Rap Pod with your hosts, Damone Carter, David Ma, and Nate LeBlanc. Dad Bod Rap Pod, we're back, episode 144. All the bros are here. We're uh, surviving, limping towards the goal of being alive in 2021. And, uh, you know, sick and tired of being sick and tired, but I'm here, Damone Carter, AKA Dem One. I am joined by Nate The Blanc. How's it going, man? I'm good, you guys. Uh, Damone, David, always great to see you on these recording sessions. I have a quick question for you guys. Be, ser- be honest. I've been okay. thinking of going a little longer with the beard, like the black thought length, like the <laughs> off like that kind of, I want, I want right, feedback. Right now you're, you're, you're at like low key large professor, which is, which is usually that's where I max out is like low key large professor. You're trying to take it a step further. Um, I'm here for it. Uh, we should ask our four female fans how they feel, but uh uh, you got to watch out because the danger with a person such as yourself is you can have a really hockey look. Ah. You, can, you can be like, I am Nate Thornton up right. in this bit. <laughs> I need to block out a tooth and uh, maybe cauliflower <laughs> here lightly. If it, get, if it gets long, a lo- long enough, dude, just go shirtless Rick Ross look. <laughs> okay. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> okay. I'm, if I'm we get that as a tandem, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and a person who knows a lot about facial hair, uh, joining us on the program, Mr. David Ma. How's it going, Dave? Yo, what's up, guys? Um, good to be here uh, with you guys. Um, not so much in this world, but um, yeah, man, we're, we're, we're alive and kicking. It's, it should be yeah. grateful for that, you know what I mean? Absolutely. Uh, with the No Name Book Club t-shirt, the quiet flexology of David <laughs> Ma. I see you. Shout out to uh, Shout out to No Name, what, dream guest, dream guest, maybe yes. one day. Uh, so we're, we're getting through it. Uh, 2020 is, is coming to a close. Per usual, we as, you know, rap nerds exist in the rap nerd sphere, where there's always this continual talk about what are and are not classics. I think somewhere in the early aughts of our program, or maybe it was even before 100, we had a we had a deep dive on what constitutes a, a classic, mm-hmm. um, and we did we came to no consensus on that. But <laughs> <laughs> there has been quite a bit of conversation, especially in the Twitter sphere, about albums that were not considered classics but should be. Um, and I want to kind of kick around and see what we think about some of these records. But before we do that. I want to go to uh, our Minister of Semantics, uh, Nate LeBlanc. And Nate, what is a classic, bro? Like, what is it? Okay. Uh, Answer in the form of a question. Shout out Alex Trebek, RIP. RIP. Um, Are we talking canonical or classic? I think that, that distinction is important. It's like, What's a classic to me might not be a classic to you, but there are culturally agreed upon classics that make up the canon. Right. And so you guys tell me, what are we, what are we going to talk about today? Because we could do both. Because the yeah. canon is much smaller than everyone's view of personal classic. 
And Damone, so, you and I dipped a toe in these waters with our discussion of all balls don't bounce from Ace yes, Damone a couple weeks ago. That's a personal classic for us too. That's a West yep. Coast underground classic. That right. is not, that's far from being a canonical hip hop classic. Uh, album. It's, 100%. This is not Run DMC, Raisin Hell. Like we're not right. talking about right. that. We're not talking about Great Adventures of Slick Rick, First Ballot, Hall of Fame right, shit. Right, right. So but, mm. I mean, it, it begs the question though, like does it need to be a game changer to be a classic? Right. I'm asking you guys. I, I, I don't think so. Yeah, um, yeah. I think it can be the best version of, its, of the thing it's trying to, be, to accomplish and be a classic. Right. Uh, Mob Deep's first album and Nas' first album, like kind of both accomplishing the same thing in the same neighborhood, both stone cold classics, no mm -hmm. questions about it. Right. right? Mm -hmm. No, totally. I feel like um, what you, the, the, the way you broke it down is perfect, Nate, because I think what ends up happening in the hip hop rap nerd version of this debate is we confuse the canon with our personal faves, right? And I think right. that's the crux of this debate right now is like people are going uh why isn't this album that really meant a lot to me not commonly discussed as a classic right, right. um so that's a, that's a great distinction i think for the purposes of this of this combo let's think about uh the canon like what is what are those rap albums that are you know unquestioned classics and then maybe i'm going to invent another category approaching classic um, approaching classic is very yeah that that you can't necessarily say this is next to doggy style but right it, it's it it was damn good and maybe we should talk about it more right mm -hmm. um so i i want to i want to ease into this to this conversation uh and throw throw out a title or two this is uh we're in 2020 1995 was flipping 25 years ago um, so there's like a whole, you know, uh, slew of releases that turned 25 this year. One of them, which I've seen discussed on Twitter as was this a classic? I don't think it was, but is it approaching classic? And the record I'm talking about is Da Shining by Smith and Wesson. Ooh, not for me. Yeah. Um, but. I think to a lot of people it is. I would go with, if we're using those two terms, approaching classic, clearly a very good record. Um, clearly a record that meant a lot to a lot of people. I, I think you can tell the story of hip hop without mentioning it. And perhaps uh, that is the uh, defining aspect okay. of the canon. Right. Okay. I was going to say the same thing. I mean, with, uh, you know, the beat, the beat miners obviously have killed the production on that. And, you know, it's, it's resonated, but, if that were to just drop out of the timeline, uh, I think hip hop's not going to be worse for it. Okay, that that's that's fair enough. Uh, Let me, I will uh, bounce it back to you, Damone. What do you think? Um, I I would I would agree. I think if you wore Timberlands at any point in your life, then this is approaching classic for you. I was right. going to say a, that region really matters yeah. here. Right, yeah, right. There are there are regional canonical classic there's regional classics that are like it just it just wasn't the same for us but i don't want to like tar us with the the west coast brush too hard because we listen to a ton of east coast music like, oh for sure oh, very yeah. much influenced by all that stuff we revere all of that stuff just because we didn't grow up there doesn't mean it didn't make it out here those guys right. had distribution right. and even once you get into kind of the backpack era like we we were seeking it out we were ordering mm. from sandbox automatic we were oh, like, totally. you know 
making right. making way with with that and trying to understand the scenes but yeah to, just to me that doesn't it doesn't quite rise to the level of a, a sure shot classic and that's just my personal opinion but it's an excellent record yeah and and i i i want to concur in that as much of, of a west coast homer as i am i know for me in tracks a million um the shining was a was a, a big record like we, we listened to that shit over and over and over and was was influential in its own ways and i was thinking uh slight tangent here i was listening to um oh my gosh what was the new uh the new fly seafood record oh, yeah. um, and i'm always <clears throat> whether it's like fly seafood or med Hain and kind of rappers in that vein i think they all take a little bit from that time the kind of boot camp click era which is maybe as a whole thing that's a little under discussed can, uh, can i call yeah. it a uh, east coast incense music <laughs> I don't Until think that's that far off. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. Like, I think it, yeah. you're you're conscious, but you're clearly in an urban environment, right? Yeah, and you'll still shoot somebody. So it was yeah. it was a good time. It was fun. <laughs> let's let's uh let's take it to since we're doing kind of a, a regional thing. Uh, the Far Side's uh first album, Bizarre Ride to the Far Side, canon. Like, right? It's it's in there. That that is that is a classic. Their second album, which turned 25 this year, Lab, Cal Lab Cabin California, Nate LeBlanc, classic, approaching classic. Approaching classic seems more important in hindsight than it did at the time because JD turned into Jay Dilla, who then went on to change everyone right. with a t-shirt's life. Um, <laughs> I'm one of those people who kind of recoiled from it when it came out. It wasn't what I was expecting. It was not my favorite thing in the world. I've grown to love it. Um, mm. I, keep, I keep a copy of the double LP on my shelf. I have the singles. I think it's a great record, but again, that's, that's the line. It's like, I, I think the first album is better and more jubilant and more interesting and takes more chances. And the second is a rap album and a very good rap album, but it's- that, That's an amazing uh, uh, distinction to make because I would agree, and I'm gonna pop over to Dave for his opinion, but I think that, and Fat Lip agrees with me, if you remember our early episode, <laughs> that it is a, a better rap album, but it's not part of the canon. Mm. I think as, a, as just, if we're just rating it as like quality of rap album, I think Lab Cabin is better. But if you're talking about an original piece of music that lives and defines, you know, uh, what a hip hop classic is, obviously it's bizarre, right? What, what are your feelings, Dave? Lab Cabin, California, classic, approaching classic. I think it's approaching classic, but leaning heavily towards classic. And I think maybe with the benefit of time, um, mm. it will eventually be a classic. Um, it kind of is like, hey, is, it kind of reminds me of like, is Dell's second album the classic mm. or is the first album the classic? The first album. Mm -hmm. And uh, to your point, Damone, I mean, the first one is a mood. The first one's just fun as fuck and it's all over the place. But I do think the second one might have more nuance. I mean, running is fucking awesome. And obviously the addition of JD is just like lore. Um, right. And if I were to pick an album off the shelf to listen to, I mean, I'm not putting on Passing Me By for the millionth time. You know what I mean? Ooh, okay. Song, here's, so. here's, here's, another, here's another piece of that. Do, do classic albums, is it possible, especially in the era of throwback radio and such, is it possible for a classic album to become stale and thus, and thus not as classic? I think Passing Me By as a song 
might be the ultimate example of that. Like, <laughs> I don't, I don't want to hear scenario again for maybe a decade. I don't want to hear passing me by. Is that possible for an album, Nate LeBlanc? Yeah, and it's part of. It, you don't read Moby Dick for fun, right? <laughs> it's there. You read it in high school, and like I could extend this analogy pretty easily to uh, the fish and the first Farsight album. I partied yeah. through it so mm-hmm. many times. It was so yeah. fun. It defined my high school and in ways college experience. Like it was, it was really important to me. I don't. I probably I could recite it without ever listening to it again. Stone Cold mm-hmm. Classic, right? Lab Cab, there's probably still layers that I haven't really picked up, the nuance. It's not a party record, first of all. Right. Yeah. And it's, yeah. and it's uh, the, the four of them negotiating more of a grown man steez, mm-hmm. which would probably resonate mm-hmm. with me a little bit more. But I, so that's, that's kind of my answer to your question. But what's something I'd like to pose back to you guys is, if you give the far side two classics, you're putting them in pretty rarefied air. Mm-hmm. How right. many groups have two classics? Like, honestly mm-hmm. really not that many like um you're you you have your tribes and outcasts where kind of everything right. is approaching classic and then you have your mid-tier of like a lot of good rap groups who would be lucky to have one so you're kind of saying the far side is one of the greatest groups or I think a lot of, highest highs i think some people would agree with that though um well okay how about this let me bounce it back to you guys with, with a, an interesting one what about gangstar I would say As, they have three, at least maybe four classics. Four. Okay, I was uh, going to say the same thing. Yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. I'll, so that, I'll go. I'll them. go for yeah, four classics, and and I think Farside in terms of uh, I think of them as like a, a Bo Jackson type of thing, was the illest shit ever for like three right. years. Right. Three, right. I mean, three, four years, unfucking touchable, and then when they were done, they were done. You know what yeah. I mean? And, and I think uh, it's kind of like the Biggie corollary, um, if you know, that's all that it takes. Right. If you get right. one to two classics under your belt, um, I do think you you sit atop, you know, the greatest groups because I think especially for groups and especially because we're not going to see groups happen in the same way that they used to. Um, yeah, I definitely think uh, uh, Farside, Farside is right up there. Um, we, we appreciate everybody kind of indulging us in this... Uh, in the semantic conversation about classics, hit us up on Twitter at Dad Bod Rap Pod, and we will do a Gordon Ramsay style uh, denigration of things you think are classics. <laughs> I, so I have a feeling we're going to be hearing about that Smith and Wesson conversation. <laughs> <laughs> I can hear the Tim Boots are marching towards us. I like the record, guys. Before you crucify yes, me, exactly. yeah, we've learned that uh, that's calling thing. things good, not great, or in this case, great, but not the greatest thing ever, uh, is you know often. Uh, not accepted. Heresy. Not accepted. Yeah. Right. Right. Glass um, though. That's what we're here to do. Dad bod rap pod. Uh, we also, when we're not uh, bantering about old records, we also have interviews on our program. And today we have an interview with uh, an artist originally from the Boston area, uh, relocated to LA, has been uh, kind of part of the Fonte Little Brother Universe. She goes by the name of Lyric Jones. She's got a new record out um, uh, called uh, Closer Than They Appear. And she came on the program and talked with us uh, about kind of how she got to where she's at, working with Fonte, and what this new record is all about. So let's jump to our interview with Lyric Jones, Dad Bod Rap Pod. 
Dad Bod Rap Pod, we're back with another dope interview. Joining us in Zoom right now, we have Lyric Jones, her record, Closer Than Closer Than They Appear, excuse me, is out right now. We just want to welcome her to the program. How's it going? Hi, I'm good. How are you guys? Doing well, thank you. Yeah, doing doing all right. Um you you've got you've got a new record out closer than they appear. Yes. Uh, got some some dope features on there. Little brother, Vic Mensa, some some great production. Uh, off you. top, can you just tell us tell us like what was the the science behind the record and and how it came into being? Yeah, well, um, the the genesis of the project was kind of me connecting in person with Fonte who executive produced the project. Um, and for that, I basically just was excited at the idea that, you know, my favorite, I got to really <laughs> vibe with my favorite artist. Um, and the conversations just really spiraled into a lot of dope conversations about music, my past, you know, telling him all the things I've always wanted to tell him. Um, and at one point, Fonte was like, well, I guess I'm just gonna executive produce your next project. That's it. <laughs> so um, it just kind of really happened very casually like that. And of course I'm jumping up and down. So um, the idea, you know, was at a very early stage, but once I got to Raleigh where he, he resides, um, more and more conversations kind of guided me to the title of Closer Than They Appear. I was just looking at these mirrors of course, that we see in the cars when we're driving and we're moving and we see them all the time. It's like a constant thing that's in the background, but it's right in our face, right? Mm -hmm. And as I'm going from the airport to his house and we're just talking, 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 I'm just looking out the mirror, you know, I'm just staring at this thing. And there were so many parallels in our conversation to how I felt like I may be closer than I may appear to others or to mm -hmm. myself how he was closer than I thought he appeared to be. Um, and probably my, you know, whatever future endeavors, um, I'm just leaving, it's kind of like a self-affirmation, sort of speak, where many things that will probably come to me will be closer than I think as well. So kind of a triple entendre in so many ways. So um, I just looked at him like, bro, yo, this is the name of the album. Like we, <laughs> we need to play with this title somehow. So that's how that kind of started. And then we, we started with the first track on the album, which is Objects in Era. So, so Lyric, I, um, I want to get a little bit more background on you, uh, just for, just to let the people know. Um, on your site, it says you're a drummer as well. Can you tell yes. us a little bit about your, you know, percussive background and, you know, sure. just how that got going? Yeah, well, to be honest with you, me singing and playing drums uh, was the first um, talent in my arsenal, I would say, um, before, before rapping, because I, I fiddled around with other instruments, like in you know, elementary school and stuff like that. We all had recorder lessons and piano lessons, I would say. Mm -hmm. I had saxophone lessons, but the one thing that stuck was drums, and that was after I probably tried like five instruments. <laughs> Oh, wow. And I just naturally gravitated towards the timing. I, I didn't have any drum lessons or anything. 
Um, and I just was in the church one day and I just got on drums. We didn't have a drummer, I believe, one Sunday. And I got on drums with, do you guys remember those cardboard um, little rollers that go on hangers from back in the day? It was like these little rolls that were at the bottom of hangers. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. My wife still won't let me it, keep them in the house. <laughs> yeah, they, it was, they, were, they were white, but they were, they were, you know, sturdy, you know, so you can right. drape your pants over them or what have you. Right. So right. in the closet area of the church were all these robes and stuff like that. And we had no drumsticks or nothing. And I just found a hanger and broke the hanger um, <laughs> and took the cardboard off of those and made drumsticks. Like oh, I just okay. was like, Ooh, you know, I can, it, this makes a sound, it's heavy enough. So next thing I know, I'm on the drums in church playing with hanger cardboard. <laughs> <laughs> I want to say I was like, 14 15 at the time okay so that was the beginning of that journey and it was off to the races after that i just became more of a student of that i was studying a lot of my my big bros and mentors shouts out to lyndon rochelle and, and drew marsh who played drums at my church on sundays they were you know in their 20s going to berkeley college of music at the time mm -hmm. in boston so they were young too just doing church gigs and i'm a baby trying to just follow what they were doing so that is how that kind of began and, and it continued on into college where I was playing in the big band playing jazz in the big band in college at the University of Georgia um, that took me overseas twice it was in Italy and China nice. um, so that was super dope um, it feels like a like it never happened it was just so it wasn't that long ago, but it just happened so fast and it just feels like it was a distant memory. Um, <laughs> um, and yeah, and, and now I just occasionally play on my gigs when I have a live band format. I'll just get on drums and play and just show people that, you know, just spice up my performance a little bit. <laughs> play a little bit of drums. <laughs> That's awesome. And it uh, leads well to my next question, which is, uh, it's starts with a statement, you have a lovely voice. And um, I, I was listening to a couple of your records today and I guess it, it kind of, it gives you a wide range of possibilities for a track in that you can kind of sing your own hooks. And so I guess what I wanted to ask you is like, do you, how do you decide when to deploy that? Do you, are, are you like, okay, this is a rapping track and this is more of a, a, a song style uh, track with a hook like can you just walk us through like that that kind of decision making process and when you decide to deploy uh, singing as part of your art <laughs> um, I actually I actually have been asked a, that a few times lately and I never really thought about it prior of like what necessarily drives me to sing versus rap but the most natural reaction I would have to say is I'm very moved by like chord structure. So this is real nerdy and musical right now, but <laughs> just the movement of chords, mainly like jazz chords. So like sus chords and minor chords, like when I hear like R&B or gospel type movement or, or jazz type movement in the music, that gives room for melody. Mm. Um, when, this, when the track is stagnant, and aggressive so more like if you were to hear some alchemist type tracks or stuff like that i'm more i'm more lean to kind of getting my bars off you know than yeah. wanting to sing because i feel like that's more of a softer approach for me when i sing 
Mm-hmm. Um, so it would tend to be more of a different energy that I would give. So if it's aggressive, um, but still has those movements chord wise, I'll do both. Um, like rock on, on the track. So it's giving me boom bap and the drums are heavy, but the strings and the chords is like huge, you know? So it gives room for that, that flow, flow, flow a tree type of a chant that I'm doing on that track. So I really just let the music speak and let it talk to me. And, and it's either the drums or the, or the movement of the chords. It's one or the other. Now, when I get both, then I do both. Mm. Great That's answer. A- Thank you. Yeah, that's that's interesting to to hear your approach and I, and I wonder my question is you're also an educator, a music educator, and I wonder how that experience kind of or does that experience of you being an educator and and a music teacher um how does that impact your music and your approach to to how you make your own music? Well, to be honest, it doesn't I'm so new to it that it doesn't really directly correlate yet. Um, I'm wearing a whole nother hat when I'm teaching. I'm, mm. I'm, I'm really just giving information, you know? So I guess the parallel is that I'm giving information <laughs> when I'm rapping okay. or if I'm teaching, but right. I'm really trying to teach somebody a skill set. I'm not really trying to do that as a, as a rapper or a singer. I'm just sharing my art and my voice and being completely vulnerable more so than I am with a teacher. I can't, I can't literally be as vulnerable as I am as an instructor. You know, mm. you'll get taken advantage of, you know, people gonna think you don't know what you're doing. I can say I don't know things in my music. I can say I'm scared or confused or, mm. or you know, just contemplative or, you know, have bipolar moments or whatever, you know, you, you can't have that liberty when you're when you have somebody else's education in your your hands so um i don't think it correlates directly yet but the more i do it it might down the line Mm. you know lyric you you mentioned um sort of uh you mentioned your music earlier and you know part of the impetus of the program is to sort of get behind the artists and you know dig deep and kind of get to know where they came from and you know how, how things came to be i wanted to ask you about your experience with Fife, um, Jones Street. Can you, can you let the people know a little bit about that? Because, I mean, he's a hero of, hero of ours. Yeah. Um, it's funny because it's almost Fife's birthday, so mm-hmm. I really feel him around November a lot mm. um, since his passing. And it's just very interesting that you asked about him because he's been on my mind a lot <laughs> mm. lately. But um, very close to five. I want to say he might be the first celebrity or icon that took a liking to me the way he did. Mm. Um, he was somebody I met in Atlanta. He was living in Atlanta at the time. And I was doing a tribute show with my friend and musician, Pierre Kev Choice, out of the mm. Bay Area. We were mm-hmm. rapping. <laughs> yeah we were you know he we were hopping on instruments and then hopping on the mic together and giving tributes to a lot of these jazz samples that are in hip-hop and so I forgot which record it was but I did Fife's verse on something from Midnight Marauders um mm. and Fife was there and he was very very impressed and you know just was wowed by my delivery and everything and I'm what like 22 21 at the time 
Um, and his road manager and good friend, Rastaroot, who was also like a big bro in the Atlanta scene, um, was very like telling Fife, like, yo, she's nice. Like she's, she's young, she's out here doing her thing. And we've been watching her grow up for all these years. And yo, you, I can connect you. And after that, it was to the moon. Like we exchanged numbers and I've got to talk to him a lot about you know, he was very vulnerable with me and where he was and the space he was at. Um, and I was able to share a lot of my growth. And he was very, very avid about me not being in a box as a female, anything. Um, mm. He was very, very stern about like, man, fuck all that female shit. <laughs> you know, so that that was early on. So these were these were seeds that were planted that kind of took my ego out of here with mm -hmm. <laughs> with the female shit you know so i i always mm. relent like resented that female mc or female anything um stuff but i know people are really just paying homage and or you know saluting the fact that i'm a woman doing x y and z but when you have somebody like fife saying stuff like that to you early you know you un you understand that you got to shatter those norms and and those categories so yeah very 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 good I would say big bro, good friend of mine. Um, I didn't really talk to him a whole lot up until his passing mm. just because of distance and, you know, I moved to LA. But um, yeah, just, we had a good relationship. So rest in so, peace to Fife. So Absolutely. thank you for sharing that with us. Yeah, no great doubt. story. Um, I, I saw you got reviewed in Pitchfork. Um, I mm -hmm. guess I'm wondering, like, were you expecting that? Do you care? Does that matter anymore? I kind of have a, a personal issue that it seems like even the best hip hop albums can't get out of the sevens unless you're Kanye. Um, so you get a good score for a hip hop genre, but I guess I'm wondering, did you read it? Did you care? I didn't care at first. Um, like I'm, and, and the reason why is because I'm, you know, I'm all about black music and black platforms. So okay. the shit I care about is vibe and I care about, you know, double XL and stuff and that could be how limiting my brain and my scope was because I'm just looking at shit from the hip-hop perspective and you know I want to be on BET and I want to do this and that and when I I don't read Pitchfork for any type of opinion for anything right you know what I'm saying like on a regular day I'm not going to Pitchfork to get any type of opinion about records that I like or don't like. So mm. I didn't really understand the weight. I just knew the name. It was just a big name and my publicist, you know, was sending stuff out to a whole lot of people. So I was like, oh, dope. I got in this, I got in that. But then when I text Fonte, well, I read the review and I was very, very pleased with how in-depth the, in the review was. So shouts out to Dylan Green for that. Um, but when I text Fonte, he was like, yo, that's actually pretty fucking good. <laughs> like for, for them, for them motherfuckers, that's pretty, that's a good score. And I said a word and then I looked up what little brother got and whoever, you know, whoever else got. And I was like, oh, wow, they really don't, they really are, this is rare. You know, like this is a big yeah. deal considering I'm not signed or I don't have none of that shit. So it made me step back and just celebrate that this is a platform that I didn't even think about again closer than they appear <laughs> it, you nice. know, it was a platform i wasn't even thinking about i'm i'm shooting over here and here's here's this moon right here you know so 
it made me just realize this this things that I, I can't even imagine probably down the line that I'm not even thinking about that are in my, you know, peripheral maybe. Mm -hmm. So that it was it was dope to know that such a regarded platform that doesn't cover many things had a good, you know, review mm -hmm. for them, mm -hmm. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Um, Lyric, you, you mentioned, um, you know, being in Atlanta, and I, I believe you're originally from Boston? Yes, I'm originally from Boston, Mass. Okay, and you also attended uh, Berkeley School of Music when you were out there? I'm sorry, can you repeat that? Breaking oh, did you, did you also attend Berkeley School of Music when you were out there? Yes, I was joining, I didn't go there for like real undergrad, but mm -hmm. I was there for, when you're a resident of Boston, they have a lot of youth programs for the children in the city to take like collegiate courses and, and do other oh. programs. So oh, okay. I was basically dual enrolled while in high school at Berkeley for like four years. Wow. wow. I was taking yeah. theory. I was taking lessons from the late John Blackwell drummer, um, you know, would, would see Esperanza Spalding walking around. Like it was, it was okay. definitely like, and I, and I overdid it. Like, I really could have just went to my classes and went home. I'm 13, 14, you know, like, wow. but I'm hanging with the college kids. Like, I'm going to the party. <laughs> I'm going to the dorm rooms and kicking it and, you know, just growing up a little too fast. Um, so I got a college experience, you know, early, but I don't think it was anything too tumultuous. tumultuous. It was just kids being kids. But um, the, the knowledge and the, the people I got to know at such a young age, I, me hanging around Berkeley way more than I needed to was really where I sponged a lot of, you know, just gems and, and jewels musically and personally. Mm -hmm. that's, that's, that's super dope. Uh, speaking <laughs> of, of platforms that you maybe didn't expect to be on, um, you and Fonte were on Sesame Street? Yep. <laughs> I expected that because I was called out of bed to do that. So, yes. That's, we were, that is wild. Yeah, Fonte is no stranger to Sesame Street. He has like a good relationship with them. He was like a rapping banana a couple years ago and did something else. Um, so, I thought that was fucking incredible when I first saw it it was just like nigga <laughs> sesame street like it's just like you you're just the best like you're the fucking best rapper ever um so i was just just you know fangirling about it at what however many years ago so in the very beginning of covid as i'm talking to him i'm talking to other people just what are we gonna do um i had a text middle of the night like yo i need you to hop up, turn on logic, and cut something for me real quick. It's for Sesame Street. <laughs> I'm like, okay, absolutely. He was like, you know, it's however many dollars, and yeah, I'm going to need this like tonight. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, wow. like, and, and you know, I'm not doing nothing. COVID just happened. I'm home. So the hours started to be get, getting weird. I'm doing work and cutting stuff at two in the morning or whatever. Um, and sleeping through the day like it was just right, right. definitely super dope but when it finally came out to see the reaction from everybody else was like another pitchfork moment it was like wow people really <laughs> this is really incredible for people you know <laughs> so yeah yeah 
that that was it it was dope i, I watched it this afternoon and you embodied <laughs> the rapping hamburger like oh yeah you... <laughs> it's fun hearing myself on trap shit you know like it's just <laughs> not what i would normally do so i love yeah. being a character and doing like sync and license and stuff like that it's just it's fun i, I enjoy that more than being forced to do it as an artist per se mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, so uh, lyric. So, uh, what's on what's on your plate next? Uh, what do you have going on after this big project? And and what are you working on? I mean, you sound like a super musical person who's always sort of ruminating on ideas and stuff. Have you been working on other stuff that's about to drop after this? <laughs> it's so funny people ask that. It's like the album ain't been out two weeks, yet. And, <laughs> and motherfuckers is like, "What's next?" I'm like, "Can y'all savor this album of my career for a minute?" um no i'm just joking i'm teasing you um to be honest with you i'm i'm in a contemplative mood and Mm. mode right now um Mm. i believe that i was listening to rada i believe her 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 alias is rada miss prime (laughs) uh the movie the 40 year old version i was listening to her talk to somebody on ig live and she said like the most revolutionary thing we as black people can do specifically women is solitude and just Mm. be to ourselves and just not have a whole bunch of things going on (laughs) you know like to just be ourselves in our black bodies is revolutionary not looking over our shoulder not planning the next thing or worrying about the next thing and i thought that was just so powerful you know to 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 really think about our you know black people and and how much we are on an edge constantly and to Mm -hmm. just be and and just you know sponge information and and sometimes not have a plan and not know what's what's next like that's okay um Mm -hmm. and to hear her say that right after she just dropped something huge of her career and i just did that for me like it was just very um, reassuring and I believe, it just felt like she was speaking to me because I don't really have an answer of what's next per se, but all I'm gonna do is really just milk this project as much as I can and hopefully okay. things come, the, you know, opportunities and platforms that I've been wanting come. I really just love being on stage. So I would love to perform as much as I can and get paid for it for once correctly um (laughs) properly to be able to afford my band and not ask for favors and you know that's what's next for me to really kind of get my just due you know um yeah and videos coming and you know i'm sure there when i get back into the mood there'll be some some features and and shit that will pop up on the online and stuff but yeah i'm really just focused on this i don't really have a plan for next yet perfect perfect Right on, right on. Well, we we appreciate you coming on the program. Lyric Jones' new album, Closer Than They Appear, is out no right now on all the platforms. Uh, yeah, just thanks for coming on. Really appreciate thank, it. Thank you, guys. I really appreciate it.
Dad Bod Rap Pod. That was our conversation with Lyric Jones, aka Rapping Hamburger on Sesame Street. I peeped it, Nate. You peeped it? <laughs> I peeped it. I um, this is a little bit too much information, but on weekend mornings, I like to make a nice breakfast, make my coffee, and then I watch cooking shows. And that's just my thing. That's what I do. And obviously my wife is there too. So it's our thing. And then after that, it's always kind of like a, is this going to be a TV day? Do we keep watching TV or do we get up and do stuff or whatever? And especially in the pandemic, a lot of them sometimes are TV days. So one of the most pleasant ones I've had recently is I watched the Fonte and Lyric Jones Sesame Street rap battle where she's a hamburger <laughs> and he is a hiking boot, I believe. Yeah, he's a boot. It's so great. Like that's awesome. I very few things make me wish I had kids, and my nephews are like teenagers <laughs> now, so I can't share this with anyone I know that is in a way that's meaningful. But I was like, damn man, where was this when I was a kid? The rapping is so Seriously. good, and the, the production is so good, and it, it, it's just it, it made me happy, dude. It's such a cool little segment. Yeah. So I'm glad she touched on it in the interview. I'm glad she kind of like brought that into my life, and I kind of need to like do the deep dive and let the YouTube algorithm like tell me. Are there more Sesame Street raps I yeah. need to be watching? Right, oh. right. Well, we had the MF Grimm connection too with Sesame yeah. Street. Yeah, so there has like, been that's a lot true. of Sesame Street in our universe lately, which totally, we, you know, we need. Well, we're here for the streets. <laughs> yeah, we, we, represent the, we represent the streets here on Dad Bod, Rap Pod. Um, Nate, to your point, I kind of I went down this, this rabbit hole. Sesame Street was the first tiny desk. Mm. like they just used to have like real ass artists just pop up on the street and like stevie wonders freaking sesame right. street is right. goosebumps Prince, um, princes yep yep so so big bird and them have been uh have been concert promoters for some time uh but shout out to to lyric jones for coming on the program uh her album definitely is in the realm of uh where you know a, a foreign exchange Fonte's blending of R&B and rap like it sits squarely in that genre so if, if you're deaf if you're into that you will you'll definitely dig this album um yeah and obviously women are great interviews and this was like no different so yeah. she, she yeah. was she was great to talk to and totally. I think um she answered the questions in a way that like I, I just I guess what I want to say here is like I loved the exact exasperation she expressed at Dave's question where we're just trying to be polite to be like oh what, what's coming up next and she's like can I fucking chill I know, like, I I just know. Did this just album, my yeah. opus and Dave it's certainly nothing against you it's just we're for just, sure for sure there's like you know when you're about to get off the phone and someone's in the middle of a story you start going like all right okay yeah totally yeah you, we're, well, it, we're, it, we're it, trying it, to in the plane it kind of reminded me of that um, that meme where it's like um, uh, your your friend just just skipped past a song that you took nine years to make or something like that. Like, yep, yep. Listen to two seconds of a song you spent a lifetime to make. It was like That's one of those. Yeah, no, videos. she was definitely like, bruh, I just pushed this whole totally, shit out. Totally. Are you? What do you mean? What's what's coming next? Yeah, um, but such, it, was, it was really great to hear her history at Berkeley and like all that stuff with Fonte. That was really cool. How she yeah. like spent her high school years being in college. I actually think I'm one of those kind of people who would have really benefited from that. It's like, why the fuck am I in English class reading some <laughs> bullshit? I would love to be talking to someone about like world politics and like totally. living that dorm room life. That's really cool she did that. I think that set her up for a really cool like life as a student kind of vibe. 
to yeah, like yeah. carry her through. You know what I mean? Totally. She was very level headed. It was great, man. It was a great talk. Yeah. Uh, something I wanted to talk to you guys about briefly. I know we're, we're heading towards our own wrap up here, but like it's come up recently a couple of different times. It came up on um, the homeboy Sandman episode of can't knock the shuffle also on Stony Island pods. You guys should all be listening. But, um, and then Dave, you said it in a, I can't remember what conversation, but something recently. And it was this thing of people wanting to be associated with your articles without reading them. <laughs> like said, like yeah. you'll, you'll get a lot of retweets, right? But right. like, do they read them? We talked and about that yesterday. I yeah, think. it's yeah. so hard to like, know. You can't really tell. With an album, right. I think it's a little bit you easier tell. for people to tell totally. if like, they listen to your album or not. And it's the same thing. And maybe Damone, like, you know, you write as well and you, you make music as well. And it's that thing of like, you can't determine how people deal with it once you've put it out. But you can oh, 100%. just sit there going like... Can someone read this? Like, we're so it feels better. It feels better when somebody engages with something that you took time and energy to put in. But I, I've had the exact same experience with music of like saying, "Hey, everybody, this is coming out, and do this," and you get you know sixty four retweets and a hundred likes, and then I look at the plays on SoundCloud, and it's like twelve. Right? You know what I mean? <laughs> right. Like, yeah. Like that's because kinda, yeah. yeah, people want to associate with you. They wanna. They wanna be seen as reveling in, in your success and, and all that. Right. They just don't want it to, to engage with your actual. Totally, totally. I, I mean, sometimes, sometimes. Dave yeah. is an actual writer. So Dave, <laughs> is, is that, is, has that been your experience or how's uh, that come up? Uh, it's a little bit of both, but I mean, it's, it's always the people who tag you and say, this is the big homie who's so-and-so this and so-and-so that and tag themselves that you want to give them a little pop quiz afterwards and be like, come on, come on, dude. You know what I mean? It, it's kind of like that, like, you know, bad joke but it's almost become like a living meme form of it's like oh you like dave uh name three of his notorious articles <laughs> you know what i mean like <laughs> totally, it's like if totally. you want to be down with dave like you have yeah. to know the real deal like let's talk about his uh accelerator reviews from uh totally. 2001 you know <laughs> totally, what I mean? totally yeah if you want to talk about damone's rap career it's like have you heard of lackadaisical dog you yeah know? exactly like, like that you and know? no one ever wants to interact with any of my stuff so that's how it is <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, Damone, we got to get going. Where can people yeah. find us? Uh, they can find us in the club. No, they can find <laughs> us at, at Dad Bod Rap Pod on Twitter, at Dad Bod Rap Pod on Instagram. Uh, wherever you get your podcast content, we're probably out there. Um, so please like, rate, subscribe. We are part of the Stony Island Audio Network along with uh, Can't Knock the Shuffle and Super Duty Tough Work. So if you like what you're hearing right now, please check out those programs. A couple new uh, pods also, coming to the network as well. Um, uh, in one of my other tabs, things are happening literally right at this second. So you guys will probably ooh. see some uh, um, announcements from Open Mike Eagle, the patron of the Stony Island pod, Familia. Um, big, big thanks. Okay, okay. Stay, uh, stay tuned for that. And as always, you know, we're here every flipping Thursday. Dad bod rap pod.